0: Newtown is a special African-American community with special people. Most of the early arrivals came to Sarasota looking to better their lives an indomitable spirit emerged out of their struggle and a strong faith ushered them through many challenges the newtown alive project recorded oral history interviews to preserve community history and pride i'm vicki oldham Fred Atkins' story is a testament of the power that teenagers have to shake up institutions. He is the son of Robert Baylou and Glossy Atkins. Fred was born in Overtown, now known as the Rosemary District, June 19, 1952. His mother walked to the back entrance of Dr. Wild King's office. The naturopath, with no medical credentials... Dr. King delivered African-American children and treated residents when there was no access at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Fred says his mother delivered her baby boy, then walked home the same day. The family moved to Newtown in 1958. Fred was six and in first grade.
1: See, I moved from behind Horn grocery store on uh, Sixth Street to uh, 24th Street in Maple, we had built a brand new home. My mother and my aunt Ruby Horton uh, had built a home for my mother. Uh, So we moved from a shotgun shack behind Horn Grocery Store in Augustine Apartment, Augustine Quarters over town, to a three-bedroom home And it was such an amazing experience because I don't know of anybody else that had a new block home built by white construction workers in Newtown at the time. Mm -hmm. And how they was able to get the the home, Ma Ruby was a gambler. And she owned a restaurant and a juke joint. And she messed around and caught the numbers, bolita. And she made the down payment of about $1,000 on then. It was about a $7,000 home in 1958. And built it from the ground up. We came every, we used to walk home from school to go by the house to see them build the foundation and the blocks go up and all of that. And so when we moved to town, we was like different. Cause we had come from the bottom of Black Bottom. Now we was sitting in a new house. And and it was, it was a weird kind of experience because the major middle class of Newtown, which we never were middle class. My mother was a maid for families, uh, the legazi plumbing family and other families. But we, we were fortunate enough to get that home. And in Newtown at the time, the middle class people lived in public housing. Like all of these people that's walking around Newtown now, 60 and 70 years old, that's been here a long time, they come out of the project, but they don't mention that now. But the project was where the nicest complexes were at the time, except for some of the older wooden homes that was built in Newtown in the beginning. And so families that owned land, but most of the working class people lived in the project. Even some teachers lived in the project before they built homes. And so that, It that didn't
0: w- have the image that it had today back then when they were new, of course not.
1: No, no, no because you have to understand, when I came to Newtown in 58, there were so few new homes and a lot of the teachers were still living over town. Some of them were living in Black Bottom because that was the only housing that was available. And so as, as the community grew of Newtown, then we got the teachers in the middle class working uh, district that was south of uh, Booker High School where most of the teachers built their homes uh, because a lot of them walked to school because they only had one car and their husband usually was a blue collar worker. And he drove to work. So a lot of the teachers uh, was either dropped off or they walked to school. And so that was always a community of, uh, that was mostly middle class. Then the community east of uh, Booker High School it was basically a, a nice working-class community, also. But you know, the people south of Twenty-Seventh Street was like we—we were—we were, we were the—we were the project. We were the—we uh, were the problem—the the problem child of Newtown. town, <laughs> because the, you know, the upper-class, middle-class blacks lived on the north side of Twenty-Seventh Street, and that was one of the reasons why, in desegregation, they chose the north side of 27th Street to go the farthest to school because they perceived them as more well-adjusted than the kids from the Project and Black Bottom that they sent to Sarasota High School because we was like what they would now call the urban kids. When the other people on the north side, they were the suburban Blacks. Okay.
0: Atkins used a term, bolita, I heard the word in hushed tones among the adults in our house as a little girl, but never really understood its meaning. It's a Spanish term, and it means little ball. It is a lottery game that was popular in Cuba among the poor and working class.
1: Bolita was was a game of chance that was played by poor people in communities to try to get a nest egg. And what they would do would bet their pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters on a number that was coming from various different places. Bolita, they also had a number they called Cuba. And it would come from the racetracks in Cuba. And so what, what, what would happen is that you would bet on certain numbers on, on a sequence at a, at a racetrack. And then if that number comes out and you got it played, you win. And there was multiples of how much you you risk versus how much you would make. And- uh, Who was keeping the money? Um, there's a lot of people walking around here that made a great living off of our bowl leader in Cuba that uh, we can't call their names because they think they've gotten away from their history.
0: For fun, Newtown children made toys from found materials in the yard and around the
1: community. As fun, at for a young boy as myself you know there was always uh, the, the football or the basketball or the baseball on sand locks or dirt basketball courts or you make your own basketball uh, rim out of bicycle tire and, and then but we had we had such games that now you know young people don't get a chance to experience outdoors because we used to have a game that we used to use with chiny berries that we call a popper. we would cut a, ru- a rubber hose uh, and use a scientific pressure point with a stick from a paramental limb and push it in there, and you could be hurt. We would have wars with popper guns. Then but we like, had, how did they? What'd you do? N- no, you, you you shot them with a stick. You had oh. to you had to shave down a paramental limb so the so the stick would go into the holes, the water holes. And you, you 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 beat down the end of it so it'll be like a mop. So you create a pressure point and you shove it in there and it pops the one out and then the next one moves up. So you have one at the end and one at this way. Then you slide them up. Then you pop it. You 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 shooting serious. Oh okay. Yeah. So you know. But we had we had all kinds of we had all kinds of games from springboard to what was springboard? Oh, uh, you you get you a big. Um, four by six uh, uh, plank and you put it on a brick or you put it on a log and a little person get on get on the end and slope down and then a big person like myself, I jump up on the high end and come down on it using the centrifugal force and make them fly. And, and that was fun. That was big fun. And then, you know, and, and my older brother, Jake, he was... He was, I don't know what was wrong with that guy. He loved to dig caves. Mm. In our yard, my my mother had a big backyard at our home when we moved over to Newtown. And we used to dig caves, like underground tunnels in the ground. And some places where it was shallow, we put covers over it like boards and planks and tin and cardboard, then throw sand over so we could kind of hide it out so people wouldn't know it was a cave. And then sometimes we had tunnels in the dirt, especially okay. when the dirt was moist. When it was dry, you, you couldn't you couldn't do it. But uh, we used to build homes underground in our backyard. Wow, did you swim? Yes, oh, we always could find, um, a water hole somewhere, I'm talking about, uh, when I came to Newtown, it was before the the recreation pool had been built, and it was before they had uh, desegregated the uh, Gulf and the Bay. And so I went through some of those experiences with my Aunt Ruby of going all the way to the colored beach at the Skyway Bridge on 4th of July, getting up two, three o'clock in the morning, and going and picking out a table that nobody had covered or taken. And uh, we go to, uh, I've gone to Lido Beach before they uh, decided to incorporate so the uh, people of color can't come to their community anymore and swim. I used to go down to Laura to the uh, to the colored beach down there because uh, that was the only way that we could go uh, and have a refreshing swim without having problems. My My Aunt Ruby was part of the desegregation car tours that we used to go out to Siesta and Lido to help to uh, convince uh, the city of Sarasota that we needed a pool. And then after we got a pool, we went to the beach.
0: The Negro Beach issue was a bold front page headline above the fold in the local newspaper NAACP leaders began flexing their muscles for equal rights in public spaces after a Newtown entrepreneur attended a Sarasota County Commission meeting in 1954. Mrs. Mary Emma Jones requested a beach for African-American residents. Commissioners procrastinated and put her off. In 1955, a carload of 100 residents loaded into their automobiles and headed to Lido Beach to wade in the water. It was the beginning of a campaign to integrate the beaches and lasted a few years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed. You were in the car as yes, a kid? Yes, yes, So what would they do out there when they go, you know, a carload of blacks
1: would go if you have to understand, in 57, 58, I was six, five years old, so I was a little boy, but I used to, my, my Ruby was always an adventurous person and she kept a car. That was one of the things that she hustled hard for, to keep her a nice car. Because we was always traveling back and forth to O'Kella. She'd put my mama kids and my mama and her kids in the car and we'd go to O'Kella anytime she got ready.
0: Yeah. So describe um, going out down to the beach in a big car with a lot of people as a little kid. you look. Yeah. At, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we, we
1: know uh, it was nothing to it. You, know? you just
0: went and then went in the water.
1: No, you, you first off, um, there was always some some apprehension when doing the desegregation process because you never knew what folk, what white folks was going to do or what the police was going to do. I have been in been in caravans when they turned us around, and sent us back to Newtown. Told us to go to the other beach, and uh, so I, I've experienced that. But then sometime when we just got out, and you know you you know we really we weren't swimming that that time. We were just basically going to get in the water because you know you never know what might happen. So you stay close to the shore only the big boys we really went swimming Mm. and so uh that was part of that experience
0: did you you dress in swim trunks
1: or just jump in with cut off shorts we had no swim trunks swim trunks required money
0: (laughs) there were boundaries that limited the movement of overtown and newtown residents in fact sarasota was a sundown town african americans had to be in their own neighborhoods if not they had to have a reason to cross boundaries or face the scrutiny of police officers after the sun went down.
1: My borders was Third Street, which is now Fruitville, and you could go to Third Street because the Margaret Ann, the Quick Check, dixie grocery store was right there, and the is meat market was right across the, the, the walkway from them. And then my other north, my, my, west, my westerly boundary was coconut. And coconut was the westerly boundary because they had a black community that was right there at the corner of coconut and Sixth Street on that southeast corner. So you don't cross coconut because you cross coconut other than for Miss Reed House, who's on Mister Miss Reed House, who was on the southwest corner of uh, Coconut and Sixth Street. You, you know, those are the only black folks on that side of coconut. If
0: you cross, then
1: what? Y- y- you were you were told in no uncertain terms that you weren't welcome or you were not allowed. Your your parents and other black folks tell you that you weren't allowed. White folks tell you you weren't welcome. And now, and they told you that in so many different ways and no uncertain terms that you knew what your boundaries were. So when you going across there, you know you are trespassing. Even when we had, when we going down there to the bay down there where the uh, the Selby Library was in the uh, the Science Museum to even crab, gigging crabs with a nail in the end of a mop handle. And uh, you you know, you get your crabs and you get on out of there, because if you don't hurry and get on out of there, some group of white boys or some white man take your crabs. And now you go back home, you've been down there crabbing all afternoon and they take your bag of crab.
0: Just snatched? them. Okay.
1: You, you know, you decide whether you can outrun them, and if you couldn't outrun them, you lost that day's fishing.
0: Three cornerstones form the foundation of the Newtown community. Family, church, and school. Adkins describes education for children in Overtown.
1: I, I'm definitely a product of, uh, I'm a product of all the Booker schools. <laughs> and it's so amazing oh. that uh, as as a young man, at five years old, I had an older sister, Nettie Marie Campbell, that um, that decided that I was smart enough to go to school early. So we put together this scheme to convince my mother that she could get me into school. So what I did was, this was before. The building of the uh, Booker Elementary School on the uh, north end of the uh, campus of uh, the Booker Complex, and so we was in the old school barracks, the old barracks. It was like an army barracks, and it was a long hallway, looked like that. The hallway was a quarter of a mile long, and classrooms on both sides. And uh, I went to uh, I went to first grade when I was five years old. I had just turned five, June, but. My, my cousin convinced me, let's try them. So I went to school from September until December in Ms. Baker's class. So what they found out in December was that I was there too early, too young. So they put me out. So I finished the whole half a year of school and they put me out of school. But now there were some people that was the same age I was that they didn't put out. Well, see, I came from kind of different class of people, so, cause I you know, so they 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 put me out, but I know guys and a girl that was five the same time I was five, and they let them go through one of them because their 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 family was in the military, and the mama said, you know, hey, I don't, I got to go to work. Somebody got to keep him. I can't afford to send him to uh, child to daycare center, and so he,
0: so where did Third you have, stage, when they put you out of there? Where'd you go?
1: I went back to the streets. Oh.
0: Yeah. I and had,
1: home. Yeah, I was home and running around.
0: At five.
1: Yeah, at five, cause I couldn't afford to go to the the daycare center. It wasn't hell and pain at the time, but I couldn't afford to go there. It was fifty cents a week. I remember I went there one week. And my mom said, boy, I don't have no 50 cents to pay for you to go to school. You can stay home and learn that a little bit. So
0: Talking about latch key.
1: <laughs> Ooh, we didn't even have a key. It wasn't even a latch. Them doors, I'm telling you, doors over town didn't have any latch. They, they couldn't lock them thing. They barely had a door.
0: Wow. So what did y'all do all day?
1: Just what, played? We just played in the sand and... C- cause havoc in the community just like and, little kids do. And and people who were home just kind of watched everybody. Yeah, story. everybody saw us and, you know, you, you only you only messed up when nobody was looking. So that wasn't that often because, like I said, front porches saved our communities and helped raise our children. I'm telling you, that's what we're missing now in this new modern society and suburban houses. There aren't many front porch sitters that used to correct you.
0: At the end of the fourth grade in 1963, the young man moved to Ocala to live with his grandmother, then returned to Newtown. Atkins participated in the desegregation of Sarasota schools. During the Booker School boycott, he taught at the Freedom Schools, set up at Greater Hearst Chapel AME Church, True Vine Missionary Baptist Church, and New Bethel Missionary Baptist Church.
1: I was gone fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. Then when I came back in uh, eighth grade, it was like Mr. Don Thomas was my homeroom teacher eighth and ninth grade. And you have to understand, I was only at Booker for eighth and ninth grade because I got desegregated after ninth grade.
0: Oh, and so she, you only had two years yes. of, of this acclamation.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so, but my teacher was Miss Griffin, uh, Miss Hoxie. Uh, Mr. Watts. Um, Earl Watts? Yeah. Uh, Miss Hoxie became Miss Piercy. Um,
0: were you ahead of the students um, with your education from Ocala or were you just on par with them or
1: what? Way ahead of them. Yeah. Way ahead of them. It was, Ocala had an advanced school because they had been doing it longer and you know a lot of kids from Sarasota County used to go to Marion County to graduate from high school before Booker got to high school. So when I came back to Sarasota, I, I really coasted my first year and a half. And uh, it, the, the biggest challenge I had at school was guys that had been with military families. Like Larry Mullen was an outstanding motivator for me because he uh, he was he was one of them international kind of guys. He'd been traveling around to to bases all around the country with his dad and their family, so he, he knew a few more things than me, so he used to make me tighten up. Mm. But in, in by, but most boys, you know, they they I was way ahead of them.
0: Now, when this this um this edict came to integrate the schools, which happened so much so many years after Brown v. Board. Yeah. And finally Sarasota was pushed
1: yeah. was to do it. Years. <laughs> 13 years.
0: 13 years because, you know, they were missing money uh, because mm-hmm. kids weren't in school and, and all of this. When you found out what was going to happen that kids, there's a, a district line now and your kids mm-hmm. were going to be, your friends were going to be uh, going to another school. What Describe all of this activity and this thought and how the kids were feeling. Well, and how old were you?
1: Okay, this time I'm, I'm going to the 10th grade. At that time, 10th grade was the beginning of high school. And so I tried to take control of it.
0: You one and, single person?
1: Yes. In, in my own way, I decided to not let them dictate to me what high school I was going to. So they told me I was going to Sarasota, so I tried to get the real Me and Edward Wheeler decided that we were going to go to Riverview. Now, that was one of my best friends during time. He lived right around the corner on Maple and 23rd Street. So, we were going to go to Riverview. Ah, well, they stopped us from going to Riverview. They wouldn't allow us to register there. And so, we we had to go to Sarasota High School. So, when we went to Sarasota High School... You mean
0: you got on the bus and and
1: rolled on to Riverview? No, they kind of got wind of us because... You know, one thing that they kept track of was students and athletes. And the path to, to high school was more readily available and known to athletes and outstanding students. Now, Elwood and I happened to be both of them. And so when they heard the coaches at Sarasota High heard that we were trying to get to Riverview, They put a stop to that immediately because one of the the greatest caveats of desegregation was how they was going to divide the black athletes. Even right now, districting is about spreading around the wealth of athletes. It is is so simple, some of the greatest battles, when when you hear about how Riverview fought to get these two blocks over here, Uh, how sarasota fought to get these two blocks over there it wasn't about the academic concerns of african-american kids it was about the athletic prowess of their potential and so that's that's basically what happened so desegregation which i continue to call it um it is was 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 a traumatic experience for me i i I tell people it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me why because it um it, it it destroyed my plan. See, I was, you know, like I said, I was not only a, an athlete of decent prowess, but I was also a, a good student also. And so I wanted to, my, my vision of myself was to be an outstanding athlete, an attorney, and to, to grow in my wealth in that way. And so, when when I got desegregated, look like, the. The fire of education burned out in me. I I barely made it out of high school. I'm talking about, my mother used to make me go. She said, she said, boy, I'm not gonna feed you if you don't make some decent grades around here. (laughs) I said, mom, this this is just so rough. She said, but you better go.
0: Desegregation was incredibly difficult for many African-American students. They were not warned about what would unfold after entering an unfamiliar school with few teachers they knew from the cocoon of the Newtown community. They navigated the terrain. Young leaders emerged. At Sarasota High School, Fred and his 1968 classmates, Johnny Smith, Walter Gilbert III, and others were familiar with the actions of activists throughout the country. So they boycotted, picketed, held protests, began the Black Student Union and Black History Week programs before Black History Month became a national holiday. They also added African-American cheerleaders to the squad at Sarasota High School and demanded the hiring of African-Americans in the cafeteria. The students demanded culturally sensitive menu choices for lunch. Sarasota High School principal Gene Pillett established the Pupil Interracial Council to address students' concerns. A Booker High School teacher, Reuben Mays, reassigned to Sarasota High School during integration was Atkins' lifesaver.
1: The assimilation was tough. Like, let me tell you something. If you go back and look at the history of desegregation in Sarasota County, my class and I could almost account for the class of 69, class 68, which was the senior class that moved from Booker to Sarasota High School and Riverview High School. Each one of those classes lost at least 50% of their students just because they could not handle the adjustment mm-hmm. to an environment that was so insensitive
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the extent of cold. You mean
0: they dropped out of school?
1: Yes. Did not graduate. Just left. For no apparent reason. Because it wasn't that they weren't capable. It's just that they didn't want to be bothered with the hassle of getting up 6 o'clock in the morning, catching a 7 o'clock bus, to be to school at a quarter 8, to get a free breakfast, to have to put up with people that didn't want you there from the teachers down to the janitors. And so, they, they just... You know, we used to beg classmates, friends, come on, man, come on, come on, girl, don't quit, don't quit. Who going to be in this class with me? I used to sit in classrooms with with people that, I'm saying, don't leave, don't leave, ain't nobody left but me and you. They said, I can't go anymore, Fred, I can't go anymore, I can't go anymore. And certainly,
0: obviously, there was no busing into Booker. It was always Oh, 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 Booker High School
1: was closed. And Booker High School was closed from 67 to what it was like 72 we were closed and when why? they opened it back why? so we wouldn't have a home we wouldn't have a place to claim as a right for high school so that was the lo- logistics behind sending
0: you to Riverview
1: in Sarasota because your school is going to close because yeah. it's not up to sp- par well, it wasn't that our school wasn't up to par Half a book of Booker high schools brand newly re- re- rebuilt because we had had a fire that burned down the whole south wing. So we had had a whole new wing of school built. So we had one of the most newest parts of any high school in Sarasota County. So it had nothing to do with the school. It was about destroying a community and not being fair in the division to implement the uh, Supreme Court decision. Wow. But, and what was Booker being used for? Well, after it closed the first year, then they opened it up as a uh, don't no, don't no. Know. They opened it up as a special education school, like Oak Park. Uh, m- previous model was moved in there. They put a six-foot fence with barbed wire around the top of the fence, all the way around the Booker campus. Oh,
0: okay.
1: It looked like a prison in the middle of our neighborhood.
0: For So 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade yeah. You made it through, but how?
1: And by the grace of God and my mother's prayers And other people just telling me Say, Fred, you gotta make it, you gotta make it I'll tell you There was a teacher at Sarasota High School A young man He was a young man at Booker High School That I never was under He, Because I he coached He was on the state national championship basketball coaching staff with Coach uh, Baker. But he was one of the black teachers that went to Sarasota High School. His name was Reuben Mays. Matter of fact, he is now in the State Hall of Fame of coaching uh, athletes with his brothers from St. Petersburg Gibbs High School. They all came out of Gibbs. But he had come over here to coach and teach. Mathematics teacher, brilliant man. Still a brilliant man. Matter of fact, he was down here to our prom this last April for this centennial of the Newtown celebration. And uh, he and I are good friends. But we became acquainted at Sarasota High School because he knew who I was at Booker. And he refused to let me be sacrificed to the wolves out there. And so he would save me all the time. It was like, before they had triangles and yellow signs saying a safe place for kids to go be, at any time that I was on the edge, I could go to his classroom and just sit in there and nobody on that campus, principals, guidance counselors, no one would question while I was there. Mm It was like it was like a place I could go and cool out suddenly. And, and I just sit in and listen to his math class because he was teaching, basically, um, beginner's math. And I was in geometry and algebra. And
0: Did the that. students then um, challenge admini- the Sarasota administrators then? Y'all challenged them, you oh, yes. know, as you were there?
1: Oh, yes. You're like, uh, how? Oh, yeah. We... we we did everything. We did. We did what the national forum was doing. We 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 boycotted. We picketed. We protested. We sent committees to talk to the administration. Matter of fact, uh, student
0: committees. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, we uh, we we challenged every principal that we had. And you have to understand that I come from a class at Sarasota High School that had three principals. I had a principal for 10th grade. They had brought a guy from somewhere. His name was Stein. No, no. My first principal was Gene Pillett. Gene Pillett. He was the principal when we arrived at Sarasota High School. He left that next year and went to administration down at the uh, headquarters. Well, it was really right behind Sarasota High School. And then <laughs> the next year, we got in a guy named Stein. They brought him in from New York or Ohio or something, cause he knew how to handle black kids. And then we, had, then we brought, then they brought uh, somebody named Kennedy or something like that. Dan? Not That's Dan. The- it was a Kennedy before. And this guy was just the opposite of Dan. He was a tall, tall progressive guy and probably no military experience. So they were just the opposite. But it was, it was so amazing that. You know, there's never going to be another situation where they're going to have three principals for one class.
0: <laughs> Cause, man, I can imagine. You know, y'all would schedule the meeting yeah. and then go in there. Yeah. What would you say to oh, the administration?
1: We, we we would bring our list of complaints and our grievances. We, we what would, were they? Uh everything from you know, this teacher here is not fair. This 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 guidance counselor here is. Uh, uh, is, is is saying this and this hall monitor because they used to have hall monitors they used to have like before the SROs they used to have gorilla athletic looking guys walking around the halls making sure that your shirts are tucked in and your socks are on so anytime you didn't want to be in school all you do is go in the bathroom and take your socks off and they'll send you home immediately well I went home a lot of days like that because it was it was like that's what they did did you get
0: some of your, um, your your demands met? Yes, yes.
1: They were addressed to the extent that we, we, we changed the, uh, the lunchroom menus. We changed them. From the, what to what? Well, we, we added a little soul to it. We, we had a couple black uh, lunchroom uh, cafeteria ladies to come over to Sarasota High School, like Miss Sarah from up uh, 27th Street that ran a little juke joint up there but she also worked in the cafeteria south Shore High School. And we had a couple other black women that came over there. And so, you know, they kinda taught them how to kinda put a little pizzazz in them canned collard greens and how to put the right amount of sugar on them sweet potatoes to make them yam, not just sweet potatoes. Out of the can. <laughs> yeah, and put a little <laughs> seasoning on them green peas so that they'll, they'll be edible. And so um, there was never any problem with the new menus, cause most of the people at Sarasota High School was poor white folks and poor black folks. You know, we went to upper class school. Riverview got the people from from the islands and the waterfront.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> what other changes did you all affect just because you all were there and asking and kept pushing for it?
1: Well, when when we arrived, uh, all of the athletic decisions have been made, from the captains of all the teams to the cheerleaders to the pom-poms, all of that. So we put together a group that um, that approached uh, Pillett that first year. He was the first principal. And we, we told him, say, so, hey man, this is not fair. Here we are. We coming from Booker High School. We coming from a, 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 a jamming group of cheerleaders to not one and all the military type cheerleaders and we say, hey man, this is not gonna work here. First off, we didn't have an opportunity to try out. So now you need to address this. And so what they did in addressing it was, uh, they go and select two of the uh, most acceptable African-American girls <laughs> that they could find and they happened to be uh, two of my classmates Cheryl DuBose became a cheerleader Beverly Clark became a cheerleader had never cheered in their life never been athletic in their life they were so not ready to be a cheerleader <laughs> but there they were and we cheered with them because it was a compromise because they wouldn't let somebody like my wife be a cheerleader or Patricia Williams who was really cheerleaders. (laughs) And so uh, we had to go along with that. But coming out of that process, uh, uh, Pillard, he wasn't adopted then, gave us the opportunity to put together a pupil interracial council. And so it was like a sounding board for concerns. And we met every other week, and then we went to every month, and uh, throughout his first year. So we addressed concerns, we had students come before, Our group and we made decisions based on that matter of fact. um, In our yearbook that that year, there's a picture of the pupil interracial council where myself and I think it's Johnny Smith and Walter Gilbert and a couple other people uh, that that were sitting up there. We they took a picture of us in one of our meetings. But 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 those are the types of things that we had to do. But we also. During this time, there was what they call Black History Week, and and you know white teachers weren't teaching that. And so when it came around for Black History Week, we we said, well, hey, well where is the color in this curriculum? And there wasn't any. And so we went to the principal through pupil interracial council and pupil interracial council, and we told him, say, hey, we need to do something. They said, well. What, what y'all do? I say We say we'll teach the black history So we got about 10, 12 students That was, you know, uh, up to snuff on their black history And we went around I'm going to tell you how bold we were We went around from class to class During a week Teaching black African history To white students With a sprinkling of black kids in there and so we did that for the whole week, till our senior year. We got so advanced, we got we, we went. Mr. Mays, who was our student representative, <laughs> we you laughing because <laughs> you hey, he's an amazing man. Running. Yeah, he's an amazing man. He saved me. I, 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 he saved me. He saved a lot more of them that didn't know, even know they were saved. But he, uh, him and his wife. We used to meet over to their house and we put together a curriculum for training for Black History Week. And we also washed cars and raised money and we bought material And the girls and Mr. May's wife made us dashikis. So we had two sets of changing clothes to go around and present our historical perspective. <laughs> And so, oh, yeah, we lived there.
0: Now, this was an extraordinarily courageous group of young leaders. Atkins' activism continued in college. He conducted research for the Miami attorney who filed a federal lawsuit against the city of Sarasota. Atkins' trajectory was established very early. He is one of Sarasota's longest serving city commissioners, having spent 18 years in public service. He was Sarasota's mayor three times.
1: I I was always a a youth member of NAACP. I was always a conscious person. And I made a conscious decision not to leave Sarasota. I didn't didn't want to go off to college. And so I chose to go to Manatee uh, Junior College part time. And so there I was in school, and in the community the whole while. And so that was the basis of of my activism after I got out of high school, was registration, voting. Matter of fact, one of my most disappointing times is just before I turned 21, they moved the voting age back to 18, so then 18-year-old people could vote. with, with me when I'm just turning 21, I did not appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but, but yes, so, what, what happens to, to me, I um, in the NAACP, I'm, I'm, I've been going to all the meetings from the desegregation meeting to boycott meetings, uh, all the way through. I was going to school board meetings when I was in high school. Oh wow. Because I wanted to see what was going on. I was always interested. And then when I got to, um, to Manatee Junior College, I did uh, struggles out there. To, Creating the uh, black students union and working in that program and, and I only went to school during the fall because I really didn't have any money and I, and I didn't want to get a loan and so I, I just kind of did the part time. I went to school. I like, got me a job. I worked around jobs and stuff. And so I kind of enjoyed my experience at uh, manager Junior College. People say, Fred, you went to manager yeah, a long time. I said I did. I only went during the fall and it was a lot of times it was just part time. <laughs> So, but, but in that process, I was, able, I was able to grow a relationship in the community, mm-hmm. and by that time, Fred Bacon had come back from Florida State, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he was a person that lived right through the trail from me on 23rd Street. And uh, we, we, were, we were good friends, and we used to play basketball in the dirt on their basketball rim. <laughs> from, uh, from the bicycle tire and we just uh, we just had a good relationship. So about that time I got into the struggle with um, Sam Shields and when the o- reopening of Booker High School and they weren't going to let him play bask. They were not gonna let him go to Booker High School Because they wanted him to play basketball at Riverview and so that's what that battle was about It wasn't about him. They cared less about his educational accomplishments they wanted his athleticism at Realview High School. And so that's when the Union of Concerned Parents was developed. And uh, with that, uh, Dr. James and Al Abrams and uh, Gene Carnegie and Fred Bacon, and, and they got together and incorporated this not-for-profit around the, the Sam Shields uh, senior um, incident. And they were able to, with us going, fighting the school board, battle to get Sam to be able to go less than 100 yards from his house to school when it had been 10 miles to Riverview. And so um, that was part of the struggle. So in that process, um, I was still going to Manatee Junior College. So Fred told me, say, this was like the summer of uh, 79. He said, hey, Fred, you get your degree from Manatee Junior College, we're gonna have a position for you. I said, what kind of position? He said, well, we're putting together a, a grant for this counseling program, the Family Life Intervention Program. Uh, and so I said, okay. So I went in, finished my degree, and I joined the Union of Concerned Parents that uh, January of 1980. Uh, was that January of 1979? One of them. Because I know Ronald Reagan fired all of us. Because Ronald Reagan got elected and Before he took office, the federal government cut all the program, Mm -hmm. Mm CEDA, all the grants, everything. So I really just worked with them one year before I was fired by Ronald Reagan. That's one of my claims of fame.
0: Wow, you were telling, you were uh, starting to talk about. So
1: so that's where where I get, when I get to the Union of Concerned Parents. Because while I'm at the Union of Concerned Parents, this is the same time the lawsuit for the NAACP, the Jackson, Sanders, uh, uh, James, and, uh, and who's the other person on that lawsuit? Rivers. Uh, they had filed a lawsuit in the name of the NAACP against the city of Sarasota for its method of at large voting. While I'm at the Union of Concerned Parents, one of my jobs, other than counseling uh, first offenders, was to do the legal research for the attorney, David Lippman out of Miami to make sure that we got all of the information. So what I became as, and decreed by the federal government, I became an expert on the city of Sarasota's process. I was gonna be a witness, as an expert witness, because I was the person that did all, all of the research on the microfish and all the documents of the city of Sarasota history from its beginning until
0: 1979. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I see the trajectory of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was that. ordered. Yeah, your no steps doubt. have been ordered. There's nothing I can do. Nothing you can do? Nothing I can do. Nothing I can so do. talk to us about um, winning that battle.
1: Well, you know, we, we started well, we started seventy-five, seventy-six, seventy-seven. 75, 76, 77, so finally by 79, the, the lawsuit was filed. And it took to the end of 84 for the federal government to come to a decision. And then they gave the city of Sarasota options to uh, to appease themselves. Now, here you are, a federal judge telling the losers how to solve their problem. So that's how we come up with this mixed form of elections in the city of Sarasota three districts and two at large, because the city came back to that conclusion because they were defeated. And so what the what we also was able to get through our attorney was a plurality vote, which basically means the person with the most votes win instead of having runoffs. Now all of those smaller caveats have been repealed from that federal decision. Matter of fact, the decision looks nothing like the present implementation of that lawsuit because um, just like they're doing the Voters' Rights Act nationally they wean back the Voters' Rights Act of Newtown Mm -hmm. to to the extent where it's just a district matter of fact the percentages of African Americans in the districts are much less and so there are a lot of things that could be challenged with that decision if if somebody chose to but uh, we continue to win the election so there's been no complaints.
0: So many um, angles here, but and I'm looking at this project that I'm doing. I read an article about this history project. It was your urging that um, that this project that we're doing now be uh, done, yeah. but it's taken ten years.
1: It's taken more than that. <laughs>
0: more? Why? Why so slow? Why's the pushback? Why? What?
1: Well, in, in, in so many ways, this society don't really want to document Africans in America. They don't even want to admit that Africans were viable people in the history of the world. So why do would they want to admit that we help create the energy and the synergy for this community, and this town, and this county? And so that's why this was so important to me. And I started doing this back in the, oh, it was the mid-80s, late 80s, when I remember a young lady named Cook came through this new town and documented the old buildings. And somewhere there's already a document that they probably decided not to look at it again. But this woman, I wish I could find out where she is now, but she did that research in the late 80s. Um, then, when it came time to go to the next step of identifying and uh, preserving historical sites, she left the position, or uh, she was run off, and, and there was nobody with the motivation to pick up the ball. And so, then 95, I left office, and I was gone for eight years. So when I came back in 2003, I started back talking about the process because I've seen how other people done it. Like I have done, like at the uh, Florida uh, Historical uh, Archives Center in uh, Tallahassee, right down the street from the Capitol, there's a pamphlet that was done that denotes historical sites in Newtown that I wrote for because I knew the importance of that. And i had gone to Boston, Roxbury and seen their sites and I've seen other sites how they have been denoted, so I knew this was important to preserve this history of this community and we just had to figure out a way to do it and then with uh, with dr. Smith um, you know unbeknownst to me he was an anthropologist, so he has a innate feeling for historical preservation and so when he, when he took it on and started thinking out loud about it and he was able to move it through the process after I left City Hall in 2011 to, uh, to appreciate it.
0: Fred describes himself as a big boy. It meant he was always chosen for leadership roles by those in authority.
1: Where we are going as a community has been a, tr- a very serious struggle for myself and people of conscience and awareness because we are trying so hard to save this community for our own prosperity. Prosperity and with that We want to make sure That Newtown don't get Gentrified out of Sarasota And be scattered like They did down there in Lee County Or they did in Overtown in Miami In some sections or they did In Palm Beach and Revere Revere Beach and and West Palm Beach This system has a Way of dispersing us Just like they did Overtown in Sarasota And uh, Replacing you with uh, a different kind of energy and culture. And so our biggest struggle now is to figure out how do we maintain our history and our ownership of this community as we grow and develop economic prowess so that we can preserve ourselves here. Because otherwise, if we don't create a way to maintain our community and our ownership, which is rapidly leaving, we will not have a new town, because when you start getting at the threshold of 50, 60% not single family owned or none of the business properties are owned by the residents, then you become vulnerable to any investment or development agency or group. And that's where we are right now. And so what we are doing, and I've encouraged all my life And now that i become a realtor, it's almost another strange experience for me because it puts me in the arena of the process so I can understand it better, so I can help guide people to to developing and retrieving their own properties. And so that's so important to me, and that's why I'm here.
0: His story confirms again what we already know. Young leaders can shake up unfair systems, policies, and change laws.
1: Funding for this program was provided through a grant from the Florida Humanities Council with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the Florida Humanities Council or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit newtownalive.org for more information on this episode and other projects.